You are now listening to the Fresh Out the Cocoon podcast with Dr. Joy Cox. This pod is unapologetically pro-fat and pro-black. Welcome to my space. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to episode six of season three. I'm super excited for this episode as I have with me Danny, who we all know as Ama Poundcake uh, on all her social media to talk to us today about her journey and body acceptance and the work that she does. And Danny is the creator of Ama Poundcake. She's also an activist, a coach, a facilitator, content creator, pop culture enthusiast, snap snap, black feminist and entertainer. Um, and she's extremely passionate about body image and body positivity. And so let's just hop right into this and hear what she had to say. And so it is such a pleasure. Uh, I'm excited. I'm happy today to be able to introduce this month's guest. I'm happy to welcome Danny from Ama Pound Cake, who is going to be here today to talk to us about her journey. Hi, Danny. Thanks for being on the show today. Hi. Awesome. And so, Danny, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself and kind of tell the listeners who you are, where you're from, and and kind of, you know, what you're all about. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. Um, well, my name's Danny. Some folks call me Pound Cake. I'm the creator of I'm a Pound Cake, which is a body image coaching and body positivity advocacy company. I was born in Sanford, Florida. I'm a small town girl. I grew up at the boys, going to the Boys and Girls Club. It has developed a lot of my personality. What you see today is definitely a product of being around other young people who had big personalities or who were developing and trying to figure out what they wanted their personality to be. I grew up dancing and singing and stepping. I was all into the talents growing up used to do talent shows. I used to sing um, Britney Spears. That was my go-to girl. I was like, oh, if I'm going to be in the talent show, I'm singing Britney Spears. <laughs> um, <laughs> or either it was Destiny's Child. Uh, it's a funny moment. My brother used to be like, can't nobody. I'm saying my sister, can't nobody. <laughs> That's funny. But today, I can't say. Uh, <laughs> so I was, I just grew up being all a part of the arts and just, have like I said, having a, a big a big personality, and so be, getting on social media um, kind of was nothing to me at first. I didn't really take it seriously until like going viral. It's like, oh shoot, uh, people people are interested in a fat girl twerking. How interesting is it? I mean, it's a long story behind it, but I feel like I tell it so much, I get tired of telling it. But people are interested in this big girl twerking, and people came um, came to me, to my page, and wanted to hear more about what I was talking about. And then a few months later, I turned it into a, a company that actually people can come in and, well, it's all virtual, can't come in anywhere, but they can come and get body image coaching sessions. 
and where we can go on this journey together and people can learn to like their bodies. But I think that the um, the reason why I care so much about advocacy, I've been doing it so long. As I mentioned, the Boys and Girls Club had a lot to do with my life. When I was a kid, I used to do um, advocacy against big tobacco companies who sold cigarettes to kids. And I was just, you know, a middle school kid uh, wow. having a, a, a stance against uh, big tobacco companies. So I've always been an activist. I think I just incorporated more things that related to me and, and my family and my community. One of the er, my earliest memories, I believe, with uh, fat positivity, which I didn't know the word. I like to say that Monique brought me into this work and who I am. <laughs> I used to be so proud to be a, a big girl. I'd be like, big girls this. I can't stand skinny girls this. And I think there's some validity in saying that, even though uh, I know that thin women also suffer from body image issues. Mm-hmm. But I, I started this I started this club with another uh, young girl at the time. She's my friend now still. It was called Eat or Die, funny name. We were in middle school. And we made being fat cool in, in school. And so I've always kind of been drawn to this work. I always known that I was different. And yeah, now I'm here. I think that's awesome though. I I I I can appreciate that, you know, you you, you know, you pretty much was able to build your self-confidence in middle school during the time when most teens are really grappling with finding out their identity and who they are. And so I guess kind of leading leading on from there, I mean, tell me a little bit about, I guess, the reactions from other people, maybe the reactions from your family. What was it like kind of growing up in that environment and you centering yourself and having this self-confidence? So when it comes to being big, it was just a part of my family culture. Being big wasn't something that was really frowned upon. I had that representation from men in my family to women in my family to to even mostly uh, my community as a whole. I mean, there was fat shaming, but there still was a place for me to like myself as like a fat girl. I can think of having my aunt, she was uh, a plus size woman who, who who was disabled. And even though she was in a wheelchair and she was uh, a large woman who barely could walk, she just enjoyed herself and, and her, she was happy. She dressed nice. She, she would get you together if you said something about her. So I, I experienced that and having a mom who, my mom wasn't really into makeup and um like stylish clothes or anything like that so she was really like a natural woman she wore her real hair my whole life but she didn't have she didn't wear nails growing up and so seeing my mom but she still embraced like I like myself and I don't have to subscribe to culture I just had a lot of big representation there there is one memory I have about my my aunt one of my other aunts and I, and I was just starting makeup. People allowed me to like myself in some ways. And I was like, Auntie, you think this eyeshadow looks cute? And she said, did somebody say something? And I was like, no, ma'am. And she said, well, do you like it? She said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, let's go. You got to wear it. And so, and so uh, uh, even exploring what I wanted to look like, 
a little bit. People allowed me to do that, but there was some things growing up that was that I I'm not so proud that my family kind of uh, did. There's this thing about gender, and they're a really religious family that girls should cover up, and so when you leave your family dynamics and you you have this girl should cover up, well, then you go outside and you realize that big girls should cover up too. And so my family having me like super covered up in this, uh, even though for them it was about religion, it also made me uncomfortable um, a little bit because I didn't want to do that. So I would change my, I would change how my clothes was when I got to school because I'm like, I want to be fly. Um, and I would, um, I would tie the shirt up. I'm like, I don't want to wear this. Uh, I don't want to wear this. And it, it was more so about like having a, a, a like, I don't, I knew personality wise that I was not the, the big girl who wanted to shield herself, but I had, I was going home to a family who believed that little girls, uh, shouldn't dress a certain way. Cause I was nine years old wearing a size nine. Um, so you, you can imagine I was big since I was a, a little girl. One of the things that I think I struggled with as a child being inside of my family was colorism. People didn't tease me for real, for real about being dark. Like I remember being called black gal, but to some folks, that may seem like derogatory, but I'm come from a small town, a country, a very country family, and my my great grandfather nicknamed me Black Gal, and that was like a, a term of of endearment. It um it wasn't something that was negative. However, once you leave family dynamics and you see the world and that there is colorism, I also started to develop like, does my mom really like me as much as she? liked my brother oh I, I think um my brother was light-skinned my mom was light-skinned and I grew up in a, a household where my father was dark-skinned and so I I thought that my mom liked my brother better because he was light-skinned so that's where I started to develop it I hear a lot of people talk about like it was one time this light-skinned girl did something to me it, it wasn't that it was more so my family dynamic and I I don't know truly if my mom felt that my brother was light-skinned. Well, well, no, I don't think so. But back in those times, I truly thought that because I, I really didn't have in many women in my family who were dark-skinned to look to. I had the big thing that, that was all a part of my family fabric. But the color thing, it it really wasn't. And when I saw dark dark skinned people, it was men. That's why I'm a big advocate about like light skinned women and dark skinned relationships and lighter skinned women having an understanding of how to interact with their dark skinned daughters, even though the intent is love, it has to be shown differently just because you really don't get that representation, especially for a bigger girl. You you even have even less representation, but most of the relationships in our community is lighter skin, dark skin. And so I grew up, I don't know if it's reflective of other folks' family, where you don't get to see dark skin aunties who are in relationships. I got to see my dad, who was a thin person, love my mom as a big woman and not proud of her. But the colorism thing is where I didn't get to uh, see much of the dark-skinned women experiencing love. So that, that had an impact on me.
Wow. So you said a lot. And uh, I mean, just a lot of context. And I love, I love, love, love the fact that you had such support in your family. Because so often, I mean, in families, but I mean, that's where we typically get our first messages about ourselves from anyway. But to know that you had the support for your body among your family is definitely encouraging. But I think, you know, in the process of you talking, you also highlight this tension, right? Where, you know, there were a lot of good things, but then there were also some things that kind of made you think differently about yourself. And so I guess my next question for you, um, you kind of talked about, you know, what you did in middle school. So how, so what happened to Danny, right? From like middle school to where we find her now, are you evolving as far as your ideas on on body positivity or fat acceptance? Are you changing, you know, changing your settings? Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Mm, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I think that when you when I think about the middle school girl, I was pro fat, but I also was a fat shamer at, at the same time um, because it was also a part of part of the culture. So I, I didn't have the ideology behind it. It any fat girl could have joined it, but if she wasn't a part of the game, then uh, it, it wasn't a. It was about bringing them in, but it also was about remaining the popular fat girls because that's still a thing today, right? Where there can only be one fat fat girl. We we see it in movies. There can only mm-hmm. be one fat girl in a friendship. We see it. I looked at the uh, don't rush challenges and how I'm like, ooh, either fr- people don't have no fat friends or they only got one to do this don't rush challenge with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so I think that's one of the ways that I have evolved. Uh, I even went back and like had some conversations with some some women that I fat shame when they were girls in school, and definitely I do work with them now doing the work that I do now because I do think there's a such thing as a, a correcting your past um but now I also research and have these conversations in a way of like it's not just about liking yourself and and it's not about like I can I can eat if I want to because that's kind of what it was about in school like don't judge us because we got snacks in our backpack um but it's it's about true representation at this point in, in, in movies. I um, now am like really critical of movies. I didn't like Norbit as a child. I didn't have a critique as a child about the Parkers. I enjoyed it because I, I loved Monique. But now that I'm older, I'm like, I think we need different representation in, in film. Yeah. Um, and I actually don't think um, the Parkers is as powerful as I thought it was as a child. Even with doctors, right? And I experienced medical. Like I told you, I was a size nine at nine years old. Was one of nine juniors, and so I was fat as a child. And oftentimes, doctors would try to make my mother feel bad about about my size, and they would tell her I had diabetes. I'm, I mean, I was in middle school. They said I had diabetes, and I'm 27 years old, and I don't have diabetes. And so now I have this lens about medical discrimination and why it's so important for us to not just talk about self-love and not for, for my work to not just be about self-love, but actually systematic issues, food deserts, right? And Because I truly believe that 
weight discrimination now but when I was a child and I didn't attach it to racism but now I have uh, I think it's about racism and, and knowing that weight discrimination was birthed out of this ideal of anti-blackness I think that my work is about showing that um, because a, a lot of white bodies are at the forefront and so when you have white bodies at the, the forefront of body positivity and fat positivity then it minimizes uh, the conversation and we're not we're not pivoting it, it towards a, a place where we are learning and growing and how it's connecting to racism. And so I, I think when it comes to that is I've moved in that direction. Now it's about bridging the gap and, and where can we actually do work together because that phobia uh, like I said, was born out of racism. So anytime a doctor discriminates against a fat black woman, they have done it to our entire community. And uh, that is uh, the language that I'm trying to get folks to start adapting so we can start practicing that. Maybe you could tell us like your philosophy on how you see advocacy happening for fat black individuals. Yeah, Um I think that uh, fat black issues are connected in so many ways, in so many ways, even if you're not a fat black person, some of the issues that fat people face are definitely the same issues that black people face. Um, one of them is not being protected by laws, right? And there's only one state in this entire country that protects uh, fat people, right? And so that state is Michigan. So in 49 other states, when you go into a job interview, your employer can deny you access to a job based on weight and, and not be penalized for it, right? And so we don't have any protection as fat people. And even though there's so much data out there that shows we are discriminated against based on size when we are interacting with employers because there's this idea that when you are fat, you will not live long. If you are fat, you are lazy. If you are fat, you're not as smart. Mm -hmm. um, there's also some, some data that shows that fat people make about $9,000 um, a year on average less than people who are not fat. So there's also this weight-based salary that happens that fat people don't have the legal right to push. Um, some of the other things that I work on um, is meeting with uh, medical providers, whether it be therapists, doctors. I myself have definitely been impacted by the medical system. I told you how they had my mom and me crying, thinking I had diabetes in, in middle school, and it was just a, a, weight, this, uh, a weight stigma. Or there is no protection for folks. And so what I've been doing is actually communicating with medical providers on how to actually interact with that patient. Um, some of the other things, um, I do workshops. I, I have not in, gotten deep into this yet, but mostly workshops that uh, weight discrimination or fat phobia is a social justice issue. I am definitely in the, the Black activist community outside of fat, um, fat issues. And I do think that there has just been a lack of interest from Black activists, Black organizers on fat issues. As you can see, uh, and I keep using Lizzo, 
there isn't many people that are black women or black folks. And I, and I'm in community with black women. So I really say this in a loving way, like trying to pull my sisters up and, and, and being a part of this conversation to protect um, Lizzo um, and women like Lizzo. And, and, and even just to take on a little bit um, and why I say the black activist community should have a lens on fatness, Stacey Abrams running, and I'm not in Georgia, so this is not a political endorsement, but a lot of people not liking Stacey Abrams had a lot to do with her size, her mm-hmm. hair, her skin. And she actually spoke about how people were uncomfortable with her size. However, our community didn't have a response about weight discrimination. Um, same thing when Eric Garner was murdered. Um, the the um a lot of the case was about his size right and so the um the attorney that defended the the police officer basically said he was gonna die anyway because of his size and even though black people we were pissed our our community we came together we were pissed that something had happened to a black person but then we have to think about how we have conversations about size People are less likely to believe that you can be harmed because of your size or that there needs to be a lot of people to take you down because you're so big. And so that same language ended up in a courtroom that we use. And I'm not saying we're responsible. I'm just saying how we need to shift our language. And that's why I think advocacy is so important. Anytime someone can go in the courtroom and people in there can believe that he was murdered because he was going to die anyway, because of his size and he had asthma, there needs to be a conversation about why is fat phobia in in here in, in, in a company with racism? And I don't think our community has um, embrace this idea that fat phobia also impacts how fat black people interact with the police. You can look at the data of stop and frisk and how black women um, who were larger, the police wrote something more violent about them. There's some studies about that. And so I, I don't think um, this movement that was created, um, well, not created, but it definitely had this big activist um, lens around it 50 years ago about fighting against medical discrimination. And even before that, you have Hattie McDaniels in the early 1900s speaking out against the diet industry. Um, you have Fannie, Fannie Lou Hamer, another fat black woman, who, who was basically saying not all fat people are well-fed, right? And so we can't have this language that fat people eat too much and they're living in the same community as us and we're talking about there's an issue of food deaths. The language doesn't make sense. And I think that we need to shift how we're having, and I keep talking about these shifts, but seriously, we need to shift how we're having these conversations because these issues are so connected. They're not separate at all. I mean, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the tensions that are resting within our own community. And so is there anything that you have to add as it relates to um, the ways by which we kind of perpetuate uh, fat phobia in the Black community? My issue with it is that all of us have like a big relative as, as Black folks. And I don't really understand why fat people are the other black people in in many ways i do uh, feel more connected to to queer black people fat or not 
um, just because I, I'm like, oh, shoot, I think in some ways we're being treated similarly. I do feel like the othering from our community. And I think when it comes to this, our bodies have always been at the forefront, whether it's been uh, white people telling us what kind of bodies we should have, uh, the medical system telling us the BMI, which was created to create to keep white bodies as the standard. So anytime like people uh, say like, you're obese, you're not healthy. Now, I tend to see that that is not the language that is given to people who in our community, we consider them to carry it well. Jill Scott is that person that we think carries it well. Because based on the BMI, Jill Scott is definitely obese. And so, but what, like health becomes this like crazy argument within our community. And it's not really about health. It's about whether or not it's aesthetically pleasing. And I think that when we use our platforms on social media to, to demonize body, we're doing it to our entire community because at the end of the day, this whole idea of how obesity relates to health was rooted in anti-blackness. And people call me, call me crazy and a radical black girl all they want to, but the, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> I mean, most of the history of America's uh, medicine is about how to make sure white people's bodies remain a standard. And so I don't really appreciate us having this conversation, especially allowing white people to have statements about fat bodies, what being Lizzo, I constantly just see her being attacked. And it's, it really bothers me because I'm thinking about how I was as a little girl and I looked up to Monique, right? And I'm thinking, how about all these other little black girls, or not just black girls, other little girls who are looking at Lizzo as their representation. And you're saying, no, you cannot look up to her because her body is wrong. Well, how many little girls are you telling that their body is wrong? And even this health conversation that black people are having and projecting it on to fat people, because also we were taught that the obesity epidemic, fat people are responsible for the obesity epidemic, and therefore fat people should be erased. My issue with that is most of us, no matter what our size is, don't have access to healthcare. As black and brown people, that, that's just a reality. Most of us live in food deserts. That's just a reality. You can look at a map of most cities in this country, and wherever the food deserts are, the people are dark. So I don't really understand the like, oh, she needs to be healthy. Well, think about even access to a gym. Look at where gyms are placed into communities. I'm not um, anti-gyms. I'm not anti-people uh, choosing to eat fruit over a pizza because I eat both and I don't want nobody telling me what to do. Um, but I also think that a lot of these issues, we're projecting it onto people, but it's really about systematic issues. And that's why I, I'm not a really a big fan myself of self-love advocates that are activists at the same time. I mean, I get the work, but I also think it's important to be advocates and, and challenge uh, dominant narratives that, that directly point to the system being a problem and being anti-Black and anti-fat. Okay, so you said a lot. <laughs> And I, you know, and I definitely, you know, I definitely agree with a lot of the things that you said and about the conversations that we have and the ways in which, you know, 
people in an in activist spaces don't always show up for for black people as it relates to their size. Um, and I often say, you know, no one would have ever believed um, the story that was told about Mike Brown had he not been the size that he was. Um, uh, you know, the whole idea that he turned and that he charged the officer like a bull, he ran through bullets. Like there was so much of that narrative that had, fa- you know, that had fat phobia laced through it, um, that if it was Mike's Brown, you know, if it was his friend, um, people would have been a whole lot less likely to believe it. And so, you know, I think you bring up a very important point about the ways in which we have conversations about fat bodies and what that means, right? And kind of the connotations associated with it, whether it be that fat bodies are lazy, whether it be that they're going to die soon anyway, whether it be that, you know, um, you know, we're a lot more violent, there's more people that need to take us down. I think that you shed light on a lot of those issues and why it's so important that we should have a lens on um, on body size as it relates to activism and being in those spaces. And I just love the work that you do. I mean, I love the work that you are doing and how you have done your research and you're looking back on these things to kind of move the conversation and the work forward. Or like, as you say, shift the conversation around um, the ways that we see fat bodies, particularly fat Black bodies. And so I guess now moving on, tell us, I guess, you know, tell us a little bit of of what it is that you're now aiming to do, right? So kind of what is in the future for Ama Pound Cake? Mm, I want to talk about something specifically, which is my new YouTube channel, I had some YouTube videos before, but I just really took a hiatus for about five months. And I thought about what is it that I want to convey on this YouTube. And really, I want to give space up for mostly fat Black women, um, but fat folks and other marginalized folks to be able to tell their own stories. A lot of times, the um, when people break down social issues, it's really people speaking up for other people and telling them how to feel about things. And um, I, it really came from a place where I was tired of reading articles about fat phobia that wasn't really written about fat, fat people. And I would be like, that's stupid. That ain't even true. Um, and so now I have a panel of women, different folks uh, come on and talk about different issues. We released uh, the episode about Kelly and her character on Insecure, which some folks love. And some folks are like, let's move this character forward and not let her be a stereotype. And um, and so this is a type of dialogue that I basically created for us to have. Um, and so that's something that I, I would love for it to just get bigger and bigger and more folks to get invested in Amma Pound Cake YouTube because it, it's not about how many followers you have. You don't have to have a lot of followers to be a part of this. You just have to have something to say about your identity. And so that's one of the things. One of the other things, I just want to continue to work with medical providers on how they can improve their practices, how they can interact with us. Because one of the things is also in in the mental health world, when fat people have mental illnesses, um, eating disorders, which is also a mental illness, they are less likely to be believed. It's more so about like, let's just, you just have an issue and you know, lose weight. Um, Like, fat people who have anorexia is less likely to be diagnosed with fat people. And so all of these trainings are very, very important to have. And that is the work that I I really want to continue. And also uh, the body positive coaching piece, 
I enjoy helping women get to the journey of uh, liking themselves or providing the tools uh, so we can at least start the journey. Because uh, like I said, for me, when it comes to having being fat, I had a family, but not everybody had a big family of everybody big to tell them um, to like themselves, right? And and, 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 the, and that's the reason why, again, like I said, I don't have the self-love lens because I do think there there is power in um, changing um, our, our structure of our society and making it where people could like themselves. I mean, when you go to the doctor, it does make you feel bad. Your doctor call you fat. Even if you got high self-esteem, you don't want to be told you're fat and your doctor telling you you're going to die tomorrow as a scared straight, <laughs> some kind of scared straight piece. Um, when you go, it doesn't work when you send kids to the jail. It doesn't scare them straight. So why would it scare somebody, quote unquote, into a smaller body? Um, it, because a doctor says that, and so that's why I think that I I just merged the two, and I want to continue to do that. Yes, I think that that is awesome. So tell the listeners where they can find you. Uh, so one you you can go to amapoundcake.com, which is A M A pound cake again i'm a pound cake.com you can also go follow all social medias twitter instagram facebook youtube i'm a pound cake again i'm a pound cake all of those uh platforms will allow you to book a service for a session if you would like a workshop that you can also go to the website i'm a pound cake.com slash sessions at the bottom you can fill out a form to uh, book me for a, a workshop. All right. And so, Danny, what I usually like to do um, kind of as the last word on the show, I want to ask if there's any, any, anything, any word of encouragement that you could leave listeners with today, um, what would it be? Um, you don't have to like yourself in this moment to stand up to the bully. And that is, something that I really think is important because a lot of us have the trauma of either being bullied by doctors, being bullied by our family and friends or in relationships. And I think one of the things that is really important to me is to have folks uh, feel empowered enough to say, I don't like the way you're interacting with me. Um, or I don't like that there is a food desert in my neighborhood and I'm, I'm the obesity epidemic. It's, it's okay to say, I don't like this and um, you can't speak to me this way. So uh, standing up to the bully is definitely something that I want my brand to be represented as. And I think that everyone should carry that in their heart. Awesome. I think that that's wonderful. And I want to thank you again for being a guest on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. I love the advocacy work that you're doing and I wish you all the best moving forward. I need to check out that YouTube channel, but I definitely look forward to seeing what you're doing in the future. And thank you for, you know, for standing up for us and for loving us and being a part of this community. Thank you. We would love to have you on the show, by the way. All right. I'd be happy to Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find this episode and all the others on freshoutthecocoon.com. That's F-R-E-S-H-O-U-T-T-H-E-C-O-C-O-O-N.com. You can also grab some merch from the store. 
And don't forget to follow me on social media, Fresh Out the Cocoon on Facebook and Fresh Out the Cocoon on IG. See you next time. Hey there, did you know that I wrote a book? That's right, Fat Girls and Black Bodies Creating Communities of Our Own is slated to be released September 29th of this year. This book is for us and it's by us. Join me on a journey as I combat fat phobia and racism to reclaim a space of belonging at the intersection of that which is fat, black, and female. You can pre-order your copy today at freshoutofthecocoon.com. That's freshoutofthecocoon.com. Are you tired of fitness apps that limit what goals you can achieve? What if there is an app that allowed you to reclaim your freedom and self-esteem with a simple click of a button? Introducing Jabby. Jabby is the body-affirming community wellness app, redefining fitness and providing emotional support to move your body in your own way. With features to set your own goals, create workout groups, and receive encouraging messages, ditching the other guys has never been so easy. Head over to jabbyapp.com today to learn more. That's J-A-B-B-I-E-A-P-P.com. With Jabby, you'll never work out alone.